Father, this is your word. We trust that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, Lord, by your spirit can be pleasing in your sight. We pray these things in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Samuel 15, because in this scene, there's one word that's going to set the stage for the whole chapter. You can't miss it. Samuel comes to Saul. There's a critical phrase. It comes right in this very first verse. Don't miss it. 1 Samuel 15, and Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people. Now, therefore, listen listen to the words of the Lord. This word voice and the idea of listening is picked up eight times throughout this chapter. Uh, I want you to imagine voice reverberating, echoing throughout this morning as we go through the chapter. It's the main thrust of chapter 15. With the big idea, friends, being this. God delights in those who listen to His Word. God delights in those who listen to His Word. We're actually going to see that as we look at the first 23 verses in this chapter. God delights those who listen to His Word. But then we'll sort of step back and say, well, why? Why, why do some people not listen to the Word of the Lord? Why, why do people reject? What, what's the root problem? Why, why is it that people reject God's Word? Finally, what happens when they reject God's word. So what are the causes of rejecting God's word? And what are the consequences of rejecting God's word? So let's pick up in Samuel. And as we do, the very next verse, you, you might be quite jolted by it. If you're tracking along, it's quite jolting. Thus says, because this is what the Lord, this is God speaking through Samuel, okay? And this is what he commands him to do. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child, infant, is this God speaking? Ox? Sheep? Cattle? Utterly destroy them. Now, what Samuel is referring to, so let me give you a bit of context here, is the day when the nation of Israel came up out of Egypt. As they were journeying toward Sinai, God's people were still unsettled, they were tired, they were vulnerable, and for no apparent reason, 
these nomadic raiders called the Amalekites snuck up from behind and attacked them. Here was God's people, unarmed, minding their own business, when all of a sudden, these desert bandits came charging on their camels and preyed on the stragglers. They preyed upon the elderly that would be falling behind, the nursing mothers and their infants. They cut them down from behind. Again, this ambush was unprovoked and unjust. Moses talks about it in Deuteronomy 25. He refers back to this horrible event, and this is what he has to say. Remember, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came up out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. So what's Moses saying there? Look, it ain't over. In fact, guys, listen, when you get settled in the land, you need to deal with these guys. You need to carry on the conquest. And so, the rest of the verse, he says this, Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. So apparently, the Amalekites remained a thorn in Israel's side, and the Lord had duly noted it. So I guess what we have to say is, and there's a lot that could be said here, the Amalekites aren't innocent people, and this is not an ethnic cleansing. This is more of an ethical cleansing, I suppose you could say. And God has the right to bring to life and to kill. Again, there's a whole lot of questions there. But here's what I want us to take away. What did God say to do? He said to kill them, to wipe them out, to what's called put them under the ban. So, and, and who's to lead the way in doing that? Well, Saul, right? He, he's the king. So this is his duty to carry out the Lord's command. And he, he wouldn't have been unfamiliar with this. If you've read the book of Joshua, this is what happened with Ai and, and Jericho. Though, you, if you remember with Jericho, Rahab was spared. Right? So, so he would, it, it, this wouldn't have been like, whoa, what on earth? To our modern sensibilities, this is jolting. But this is the conquest of the land, and this is for this time and this place. This wouldn't transfer into the New Testament. That's why you need to know how to read your Bible. You could just proof text and pluck this and become a jihadist. Please don't. We, have, we live in the New Covenant. We'll talk about that later. But Saul, this is his opportunity to obey. God says, Go. This is his golden opportunity. I mean, he blew it back in chapter 13. You remember that? He didn't wait. Wait until I come. He got really religious, took up the priestly prerogatives, what they were supposed to do, and did the offering. So this is his chance to sort of redeem himself, so to speak. What's he going to do? Will he obey? Will he hear God's voice and do it? Well, 
in the next verse. Seems like that's the case in verse 4. What does he do? He rallies the troops. That's what God called him to do. But just before he makes the attack, he, he sends a text message to a, a neighboring tribe called the Kenites. The Kenites, they were Moses' in-laws, okay? And he flicks them a message and says, guys, look, you, you've been kind to us in the past, but you need it. We're about to attack. You need to get out of our way. I don't want you caught in the crossfire. In other words, this place is about to blow, right? Get out. We don't want you being collateral damage. So, like any sensible tribe, the Kenites say, why don't we take off? <laughs> so they go. And then we're told that Saul makes his advance. And in verse 7, he defeated the Amalekites. Wow. Seems like he's on track. He chases them from one place to another. He did what he was told. Well, kind of. At least partially. But that still counts for something, right? Verse 8. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good. It would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, though, what did they do? They, they got rid of those. This was precisely what God said not to do. He, he captures Agag alive, then sets aside the best of the animals and decides to get rid of the stray dogs, right? The, the weak ones. But that's not what God said to do in verse 3, did he? That's not obeying the Lord's voice. In fact, it's in direct defiance and disobedience to what God said in verse 3. The purpose of this war with the Amalekites wasn't to gather more stuff. It was to obey God's voice. God delights in those who listen to his word, but Saul has no regard, no respect for obeying God's word. We see him in this next scene. He's feeling quite smug. You know, the rest of the guys, they're... You know, they've got a bit of the, they're feeling quite macho, skipping their step. Saul and his fighting men are patting themselves on the back. One of them suggests, hey, Saul, gosh, you know, it'd be appropriate, given that we did such a great victory here, to remember this day, right? Lest we forget. So why don't we create a statue so we can celebrate how awesome you, I, I mean God, is. And that's precisely what happens. What does Saul do? Creates an image, a memorial stone, in his own name. He sets up an Ebenezer to honor himself. The Lord witnesses all of this. God sees all of it, and he won't have a bar of it. He comes to him, Samuel, in verse 10, and he has this to say. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. 
And Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he has set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. You can picture Samuel. The word of the Lord comes to him. He hasn't slept all night, completely incensed by the audacity of Saul. He's angry. Then on his way, gets up in the morning, right? He is just fuming. You know when you're wanting to confront someone and the longer it takes, you can just feel it boiling up more in you? Saul is just boiling. Sorry, Samuel's just boiling up. And on his way to go find him, he trips over this ridiculous monument. (laughs) And think about it. This is a king who thinks that he ought to be recognized and memorialized for the way that he has broken the Lord's commandments. Hey, guys, look at this great victory. Everybody should celebrate me. Look what a wonderful king I am. There's there's not even a a, a hint. There's not even a modicum of of remorse from him. He's... (laughs) And to top it off, When Samuel finally tracks Saul down, Saul struts up to greet him with such confidence. He he, he probably expects a high five and to hear a job well done. Look at verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He, he doesn't even suspect that Saul might be unhappy, right? He, he comes out to him, he goes, oh, look, hey, Samo, right? Check it out, man. Look, look, I, I did what you said, right? Really? Like, bro, are you serious? What universe did you obey, Saul? Like, what universe did you do this? The guy is glibly unaware of his sin. Now, the response Samuel gives is one of those epic lines in Scripture. Verse 14, What then is this bleeding, bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? He asks, Oh, You obeyed, did you? What's the noise I hear? It's the same word that's used earlier about hearing the voice of God. What's the word I hear? It's not the noise of obedience. It's the noise of disobedience. Now, I want you to try to put yourself in Saul's shoes for a moment. If you're Saul, You might have been glibly unaware, but hopefully you can read a room well enough or read a person well enough to know that when they're cross at you, right? You can tell Samuel's cross. You've been caught red-handed. So what do you do? What does he do? Well, that's easy. 
It's not my fault. It's these guys' fault. Just shift the blame. <laughs> Look what he says in verse 15. Shocking, really. Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have devoted to destruction. I, I don't think... For you animal lovers out there, I don't, think, I don't think Saul at this moment is just conscience-stricken about the death of some donkeys or some camels. Or and he's like, oh, I, I just love animals and I couldn't put them to death. No, 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 no. He, he interpreted the command of the Lord in his own way, didn't he? Obedience for Saul is, is, is flexible. God hadn't asked him to spare animals to make a sacrifice. God said to listen and obey. But Saul sort of likes to pick and choose. He has selective hearing. Friends, beware of self-serving selective obedience. Beware of selective hearing. God's word challenges us because it demands our complete obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is, at the end of the day, it's still disobedience. Saul obeyed when it served his interests. But the second, it didn't. Well, he listened to the other voices out there, didn't he? I wonder, friend, in your own life, how you might be tempted to this idea of selective, self-serving obedience. Maybe in your words. Do you tell the truth? Well, as, it, as long as it fits the occasion, right? And matches your interests. Otherwise, you might bend it a little. Sort of give half-truths. Oh, it won't be a bold-faced lie, but you allow people to believe something, and you know that what they're actually walking away with isn't the truth. It's not a lie, but it's, it's a half-truth. What about selective obedience by ignoring or, or even redefining what the Bible calls sin? Friends, our, our surrounding culture has its crosshairs set on biblical sexuality. And with all the opposing voices out there, it's becoming more and more challenging to hold to what the Bible teaches about gender and sexuality. So we may become at risk of losing respect from our friends, losing respect from our coworkers, perhaps some of you, maybe even losing your own jobs. So it's tempting to practice selective hearing, selective obedience in this regard. 
church, my brother, my sister. We must never forget God delights in those who listen to his voice. God delights in those who listen to his word. Obeying his voice is what matters. So here we find Saul. Confronted for not obeying. And blame shifts. Starts rattling off excuses. It's a real shocking scene, right? You can just picture him, but, 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 you know, the people and, and they and, and this situation and, and, and you understand, right? And he's just rambling on and on and on. And Saul, uh, Samuel just cuts him off. Stop! Shut it! I'm going to tell you what the word of the Lord is. Look at verse 15. Very dramatic at least the way your pastor makes it sound. Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared them. Then verse 16, then Samuel said to him, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? I think what, Saul, I think what Samuel is saying here is, is you need to recognize the responsibilities that come with being king. You're not just a, a, a normal dude. You represent the people. There's a, um, a great portrait from the 16th century that I, 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 I want you to check this out. Maybe I can even get your feedback. I don't know how well you can see that, but maybe this, this side of the church can see it. But Hans Hobling, the younger, a German guy, Swiss German, tried to capture this image Anything that, that strikes you there when you think about this narrative that we're reading? You can, you can throw it out. I'm not asking that rhetorically. You can, this can be an equip moment here. Sorry? Yeah, Saul's ahead of the people. Yeah, good sky. One thing I notice is they're, um, they're definitely, like if you look at the soldiers, they look more like Renaissance German... So it's like, you know, remember there was only two swords, you know, at the time, and they, they, look, they definitely look more like, you know, that era, European. Anything else? I don't know, am I blocking you guys over here? Anything else you guys see from there? You definitely see, like, the implied threat of Samuel standing up for Saul, like, telling him to stop is potentially also telling this whole army to stop. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Even the next chapter, we're going to see Samuel is, he doesn't trust Saul. You know, he's, he's reluctant to go anoint David because he goes, if, if Saul hears about it, he'll, he'll kill me. So, is that what you were saying? Yeah. 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 Yeah, 
Yeah, wow, good, good on you, Caleb. Can we go to an art, museum, art museum sometime together? That's really good. I didn't even notice that. Okay, so thanks for sharing. Now, I want you to see, he says, look, you have a responsibility, you blew it. This could be his time to repent. This could be his time to say, all right, I messed up. Let's make this right. But he acts like a child. Saul acts like a child in the way he responds. Look at verse 20. So he says, you know, why didn't you obey the voice of the Lord, right? Verse 20, and Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Wow. Really interesting stuff there. It's, <laughs> this is like the adult version of a four-year-old who walks into his mother's room and says, I didn't eat any of the cookies. But he's got crumbs on the side of his mouth and he's got stains all over his shirt. It's a ridiculous picture and it's quite comical if it were not for the fact that this was so tragic. Saul is still not accepting responsibility. And did you hear or read there how he talked about God in that verse? It's the same language he used before. Notice it's rather cold and distant. He uses the pronoun your God. Can you see that? Instead of our God. I fulfilled the duty of your God, Samuel. And it's not my fault. The woman you put with me, she made me sin. The devil made me do it. See, all, all this blame shipping, it's really going to backfire on him. In the next verse. In fact, I love what the author does. If you have your Bible sitting right there, he places Samuel's response in the margin of your Bible. Can you see that? Look at verse 22 sticks out. It's put in the middle of the page. This is called Hebrew parallelism, right? What it does, what is, what is Hebrew, what does it do? It's parallel, right? A parallelism. It conveys one thought through two lines. See it for yourself. Look there in the margin of your Bible. And, and Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Notice what he's doing there. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Same idea, expressed differently in two parallel lines. Make sense? This occurs again in the next half of the verse. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Attentiveness is better than the fat of rams, he's saying. You, you picking up the restatement there? It's the same thing. Essentially, it's better to obey than sacrifice. It's better to listen than to offer the fat of rams because God delights in those who listen to his word. Obeying is better than doing religious rituals. That all makes sense. But why, do, why did Saul reject this clear command? Again, I don't think he's an animal activist. Well, why, why, why did he reject it? 
Why did Saul reject God's voice? For that matter, why do you reject God's voice? Well, the root of it's there in verse 24. Look at the answer. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. There it is. There it is. I feared the people and listened to them. Saul listened to the people's voice instead of listening to God's voice. You know what the irony is? You know what the irony is here? He became king because of the voice of the people. Do you remember that? The voice of the people asked for a king, but now he's rejected precisely because he listens to the voice of the people. Oh, friends. As Proverbs says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Saul wanted to be on the right side of history. Saul wanted to keep right on the side of popular opinion. So for him, obedience was flexible. It flexed to what the consensus of the people were saying. You know, you may be prone to look to left, right, and center and think, ah, oh, it's just normal to be snappy with my spouse, to be snappy with my kids. I mean, after all, there's really funny comedians and YouTubers out there that make jokes about this, right? You may be around people that say ridiculous things about lust, like you can look but don't buy. And you chuckle and you laugh and you think that's normal. You may hear people say, well, you deserve to be happy. You deserve to be happy. So if you're unhappy in your marriage, you should get a divorce. I mean... I know that you do these business deals with people, but if you look, if you didn't, if you didn't technically sign an agreement, you're not bound to anything. I know that you gave your word, but you can back out. If something better comes along as well, you can, you can back out. And, you know, if she treats you like a jerk, treat her like a jerk. Show her, what a, show her how it feels. You know, I didn't pick any of those examples. That's just the Sermon on the Mount. That's what Jesus goes through about the Sermon on the Mount, about our hearts, and as it were, listening to the surrounding voices. But what happens then when we do that? What happens when we reject God's voice? What are the consequences? Well, look at what they are for Saul. Very dramatic scene here. I, don't, I, I, can't, I can't help but think Saul's a bit disingenuous with his repentance here too, because in verse 25, look what he says. Now, now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. Come on, can, you know, say you're sorry to your sister. Sorry. Now can I go get a lolly? Yes. Yeah, that's, I, I think that's his vibe. Verse 26, and Samuel said to Saul, 
I will not return with you. But you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. So the result of rejecting God's voice is a rejection of his ministry. It's a rejection of his monarchy. Because of Saul's disobedience, God rejected him as Israel's king. You know, what happened to him, to a lesser degree, friend, can happen to you in the ministry that God has given you. If you're not heeding God's word, that will backfire on you. I mean, could there be, if you actually stop and think about it, could there be more of a privilege on this earth than telling people about eternity and about how to get right with God and to serve him in the context of a local church, to do that in a variety of ministries that the Lord graciously allows us to serve in. But if we are not heeding the voice of God, the Lord sees it, right? Saul and his men, when, they, you know, when they're high-fiving each other, sort of patting themselves on the back, it, it probably felt kind of right and good, and you sort of had the adrenaline of the battle going, and woo, this is really like, let's just turn a blind eye to this. They all knew what they were doing. But God saw all of it. And every time that we sin, and every time that we choose to reject God's voice, He sees it. But the good news, friend, is this. I mentioned earlier that we live in the new covenant because of Jesus. Obedience is possible in the new covenant. I just referenced the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus constantly comes back to this idea of the heart, obeying from the heart, the heart, the heart. You see, in the new covenant, friends, we have what's called remove from us a heart of stone and give to us a heart of flesh. Through the new birth, those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, we have new hearts. Through the new birth, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So that our lives can be marked by love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, the fruits of the Spirit. This is all thanks to Jesus, who obeyed completely, who never had a Saul moment. You know, Saul's concerned about a sacrifice, but you see, the greatest news in the world is and, and you know, Saul, I think, I think what he does there when he gets religious, I think that's what some of us have a propensity to do. I think, you know, 
party on Saturday, make up for it on Sunday. Sin, on, sin hard, go to church. And you sort of uh, do this and give Hail Marys. Uh, do that and pray more often. That's what Saul's doing in a sense, isn't he? Because he, he knows that, well, there has to be some sacrifice that has to be made, but the greatest news in the world is that a sacrifice has been made in Christ. And for those of us that know him, we can joyfully walk in obeying him because of we have new hearts now. We could never do that. Never do that. But now the Spirit convicts the world of guilt and sin regarding to righteousness. The Spirit reminds us of Jesus' teachings. The Holy Spirit stirs in us when we grieve the Spirit of God. And that's because of Christ's work. So how is your hearing, friend? How is your hearing? How is your spiritual hearing? To whose voice do you listen? God's? Or the people around you? Do you obey completely or do you obey partially? In God's kingdom, partial obedience is really no obedience at all. But we praise the Lord that, and we praise the Father that His deep love for us, beyond all measure, He sent His only Son to make wretches like us His treasure. And that's the King that we look to. Let's pray. Lord, we don't want to be people to just simply hear and shrug it off. We want to be doers of the word. We pray that we would not be like a person who looks at their face in a mirror and immediately forgets what they look like, but to look intently into your word. We ask that as we have new hearts, that your spirit would stir in us and that we would obey you with not duty but delight. This week we ask in Christ's name. Amen.